0: Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge, brought to you by the world's leading underground construction equipment company, Pitch proud to support the sports you love. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by the host of Bass Age Television, Aaron Martin. How are you, Aaron? Hey, I am doing well.
1: Steve, and yourself? Good. Who we have on today? We have Clark Winlet on deck discussing versatility, and then Doctor Fish, Jay McNamara, will be calling in to help us with managing expectations.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to both of those. Let's rock and roll.
2: Get her like that with one. Good job.
0: I don't know of any other sport that offers the challenge of bass fishing
1: Oh, did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was awesome. Watch for the fish to pace the bait. What do you think of that, huh?
2: That's
1: full contact fishing right there.
2: You're listening to The Egg, the official audio program of Bass Egg.
0: Aaron, I haven't talked to you since the other day, and I want to offer you and Diana a wonderful belated anniversary. I hope you all had a good day. We did, and uh,
1: we actually, of course, it uh, occurred on a Sunday evening, and we had some family in town for Maya's recital, so we were able to take in dinner and uh, kind of celebrate the 12 years of marriage. But in reality, Steve, you know this, we dated, uh, we were kind of high school sweethearts, so we've actually been
0: together a total of 19. 19? You don't seem that old. I'd like to consider myself not that old. <laughs> so. Well, we won't talk about it, how long Kathy and I have been together, but one of the things we get asked about as often as any other question on Bass Edge is, is from young folks come along who want to make a, a career out of fishing. You know, whether it's becoming a television host like yourself or uh, fishing on one of the major tours. And always, part of that answer is your support system. Uh, I know that Diana and Kathy. Their support for us is just absolutely essential, allowing us to to do this job that we we love so much.
1: Well, it is, and, you know, we use the term we were one of the lucky ones, uh, and I think that is certainly the case when it comes to finding our soulmates. And, you know, for me personally, I was always in going up through high school and that uh, into motocross and always involved in the outdoors. So when Diana and I started dating, which was in high school, uh, it was just kind of, you know, natural. I mean, that support fell into place, and I can't imagine—really, cannot imagine—if uh, you do not have that support, how much more difficult that it would be to do this.
0: It'd be impossible in my case. I mean, uh, contributions Kathy makes to me, just uh, you know, emotionally and, and and financially, she's got a good job. But uh, you know, it, but it's not just about folks that are making their living in fishing. You know, a lot of fishermen out there have, you know, they they have wives that either fish or don't fish, but, boy, it's it's really important to uh, take care of business at home, and it's great if you can introduce your wife to fishing. It just means so much more for both of you. Well, it is.
1: And I, you know, I even see the kind of that support even going beyond just the husband and wife relationship. Of course, we've seen many examples of that here, uh, you know, through Bass Edge, whether it be Stella Hibden, uh, you know, Stephen Wells oh, yeah. and Pam Martin Wells, you know, there's a lot of that, those examples on the professional side of things. But also think about it from a maybe a single mom standpoint or, you know, having a niece or a nephew or just introducing mentoring a child. That support system that we speak of goes well outside of Uh, Just marriage.
0: That's so true. And let's face it, if you take the wife fishing and get her into fishing, you're going to get to fish more. You know, it's kind of like if mama's not happy, nobody's happy. So uh, (laughs) one of the things I've always had fun with, you know, as an outdoor rider is this whole idea of who are better fishermen, men or women. And I want your take on that.
1: Well, I can tell you from personal experience, you know, the first time I really took Diana out in a bass boat was actually on a night fishing trip, like we had talked about last week here on the show. And, you know, of course, you can't see uh, your line like we spoke of. It's it's in the night. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we were fishing a deep brush, showing some plastic baits. In her case, I tied her on a a plastic worm. I still remember this. And, you know, sitting from the back of the boat, here I am, you know, going nonstop, 90 to nothing. And she was just back there relaxed and making those casts and pulled in fish after fish. And I think there's a lot to be said on just patience and just not getting so caught up in this whole mental warfare that a lot of us put ourselves through.
0: That's so true. Uh, you know, one of my favorite quotes of all my years of writing is it was actually about hunting. I I did a story about three sisters who were all 70 years old or older who had a deer lease together and, uh, I asked one of them, I said, well, who's the better hunter, men or women? She goes, oh, women. I said, well, why is that? And she says, well, we're more patient and we don't stay up all night playing poker the night before.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of truth
0: to that. Well, Aaron, I've been meaning to ask you, we talked, I think, a couple of weeks ago about your uh, jig Carolina rig. Uh, Have you tried that yet?
1: I have not actually tried it. I do have some rigged up and ready to go. I'm, I'm just waiting more or less for the right opportunity to be able to do that. What fishing I have done has been a little different style, but I do anticipate, Steve, I'll be able to give you a report here in the next couple of weeks.
0: Well, good. You know, it's getting that time of year when the Carolina rig can just be so effective. And, you know, I like to say it's sort of that geography time. Of year we're fishing with Texas rigs and Carolina rigs and if this jig thing catches on uh, we may call that the Missouri rig. <laughs>
1: there you go. I mean we can have our own state named after a, a technique. But no, I, I think Carolina rigs are one of summer's I, I think main baits to always consider when you get out on those humps and fishing over that brush. And you know when you look at the effectiveness of the Carolina rig, it's. By having that bait, you know, you have the weight that's kind of riding the bottom, and then the bait follows trail or follows suit, kind of suspended off the bottom. But there's some things that I think that we need to bring up and and discuss just quickly on here, and that is the fact of, you know, you look at the, the leader that goes from the swivel beyond the weight, back to the hook and adjoining the bait. Uh, You know, we've talked a lot about lines and how some of them have the properties that sink, some have the properties that float. That is one thing that I always try to remember is, you know, fluorocarbon is probably not a good choice for a leader line uh, if you're wanting that bait to stay up, and that's because it it sinks. The other thing is is the weight or the uh, style of the hook. You know, you can actually uh, take a hook that is too heavy, for the bait and this is where it really comes into a factor of matching the hook to the size of the bait because if you get too heavy of a hook it's just going to cause that thing to sink even quicker to the bottom.
0: That's a great point about the monofilament. In fact I was sitting here as you were saying that going oh man I've done that before. (laughs) But uh, what's your take on, do you like to use beads?
1: I do like to use beads. uh, There's a couple things there. One is because it offers protection from the knot and you know uh, with the tungsten craze that's out there you know that that tungsten is not as forgiving with lead remember in the old days uh, when all of us were using lead you could actually see the line cut into the lead well i can promise you one thing tungsten is not like that i mean there is Mm -hmm. no way that that line is or that that tungsten is going to give so i do think it offers uh some protection from that that sinker coming down and banging on your knot the other thing that it does obviously is offer that sound factor
0: I've been out and I've used beads and and not had luck and I've taken the beads off and so uh you know, I think uh, Carolina rigging, you know, we, we learned to do it in kind of one way, but, you know, it's important to be versatile, to use the beads, uh, different link leaders. Uh, you know, it can make a difference. Uh, you know, versatility is very important with that rig as it is any. And uh, speaking of versatility, I think that's what Mr. Wintlett's going to talk about here. So, uh, Aaron, if you want to take a quick break, we'll pay a few bills, come back and listen to you and Clark talk about versatility. Sounds great.
1: You've got the truck, you've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call
2: 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, Establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility.
1: On board with us today is one who is known for his numerous skills as an angler. His versatility has positioned him 10th in the world rankings and 2nd in the FLW Angler of the Year standings. And here to rub off on us today is veteran pro Clark Winlett. Clark, welcome to The Edge. Aaron, great to be here. You know, Clark, you have been participating really in the outdoors all of your life. And I guess the first question maybe you could kind of enlighten us on is what really sparked your initial interest in the sport of bass fishing?
3: Well, I really got started um, with my parents. You know, what we did on the weekends is we went, um, you know, we'd have school during the week, obviously, and then during the weekends, we'd go out in the country and either go camping, go fishing, go hunting, just depending on what season it was. But that's just what the passions that I grew up with. And actually, my brother and I both, um, I've got one brother and we just, that's what we used to do. So I kind of grew a love for the outdoors from early on.
1: You know, and and we're kind of the fortunate ones because we were introduced at at a young age. And, you know, certainly, I think when you look at the, the landscape of the outdoors and specifically in this case, obviously, bass fishing, it's really had an impact on a lot of our lives. But do you see really the sport of, I would say, grassroots fishing on the rise?
3: Yeah, I don't really think it is. Um, I'm actually at a college event right now, and I'm seeing kids that have never been involved in anything like this before getting into fishing, more into fishing. And I really see the direction of, of at least tournament bass fishing. Um, hopefully fishing in general, going, uh, you know, more and more young kids getting involved with it. And, uh, you know, I think it's great to see. I, I think as far as tournament fishing goes, what we're about to see is is young kids kind of dominating the sport because those are the kids that are really into it, uh, the ones that really want to succeed at it and, and try to make a living of it.
1: And when you look at kind of the added participation and, and the ease of information accessibility, you know, how does the added pressure impact you know, both the fish and then also the anglers?
3: Well, that's a really good point. It's something I've actually been talking about a lot recently is, is the information that that's available out there now. You know, as a young angler, somebody that wants to learn about bass fishing these days, they can learn about it so easily on the Internet. You can find uh, any kind of chat sites, blogs, you know, any information. Anytime we catch fish in a tournament, the, the next day, everybody's got access to it. And and um, as far as for me goes, it, it puts a little pressure on us because I can't have a technique anymore that nobody might know about because everybody's going to find out about it the next week. And it kind of changes it a little bit. It, it kind of puts us everybody on a Level playing field as far as information, but you know, as far as tournament fishing goes, it's still tournament bass fishing, and and uh, you know, it, it hasn't changed too much.
1: Well, you know, and, and with the point that you bring up as far as the amount of information that's out there, you know, you still have to be able to do something with that information. Just because we have it at our fingertips, it's kind of makes sense that uh, you know you got to be able to execute.
3: Yeah, you, know, you got to still be able to fish and execute. And, you know, a lot of that just comes from kind of what we talked about to start with—just spending time in the outdoors and and getting out there. And and you know, the, the very very best fishermen that I find in tournament fishing and you know, even not tournament fishing are, are guys who just spend time on the water. You get out there, and and uh, the more you fish, the more you learn. And, the more you know how to make the decisions that it takes to make and tournament fishing. So, you know, whether you're a tournament fisher or not, the more time on the water, the better you'll be. You
1: know, and and not even looking at it strictly from the competitive field, but just breaking it down as an angler, what would you define kind of your um, keys, I guess, to your consistency?
3: I love trying to figure out bass on a new lake. That's really kind of what drives me to fish. I mean, I like catching fish, but what you know, when I put my boat on a new lake um, is going out, no information. I'm just going to use the seasonal patterns that I have for that lake and, and try to go out and figure them out. And, you know, I try to figure them out from a tournament perspective, but that's not necessarily the way you got to do it. I, I think all it takes is, is hey, I, I'm going to put myself against these fish on this lake today and see if I can't figure out how to catch some. And it doesn't even have to play in to the tournament, but it, it's, uh, to me, it's kind of the competitive way. Um, that's how I make my living trying to figure those bass out, and that's what I really love
1: about fishing. Do you think that we as anglers can read too much into the conditions and the information that we're dealing with while we're out on the water?
3: Yeah, maybe so. Um, you know, I think a lot of it is, you know, we got so much information like we've already talked about. There's so much ready, readily available information, and you don't want, I mean, you want a, a certain amount of it. You kind of want to keep up with what techniques are going on because a lot of times the newer techniques it's a little bit easier to catch fish their baits or techniques or you know the places you're throwing them maybe that fish haven't seen before so it might actually be just a little bit easier to catch fish that way but you also got to apply it when you're out there you got to figure out how to catch fish as you go and uh, and that just comes from spending time on the water
1: you know we hear a lot of talk uh, we spend obviously a lot here on the edge and then also on our tv show bass edge talking about versatility what is kind of your opinion or definition of the term
3: well versatility to me as an angler is not deciding before i get to the water hey i really want to catch them this way or i want to catch them that way it's you know say i really like to flip if i want to go flip it's it's getting there um having some ideas in your mind that that you're going to go with but actually letting the fish tell you what to do you, you get two or three bites a certain way, and and that leads into more bites, and just not being dead set on a certain technique or a certain way that you've got to fish. To me, that's what versatility is. you just got to be able to adjust on the water, and really, what really good tournament bass fishing is, is being able to adjust at any time on the water.
1: Speaking of adjusting, you know, let's, let's kind of take present day terms. Here we are at the, you know, the first part of June, you hit the water, obviously in your thought process, you have kind of an itinerary of what you're going to go through and how you're going to work that. Can you maybe break down, you know, where you would start, what you're looking for, and then uh, follow down through your ABC choices?
3: Well, what i do is, is, is that I, you know, when I talked a minute ago, I talked about seasonal patterns and Um, if it's, if it's pre-spawn and it's a highland lake, I've kind of got an idea of what I want to do. Or if it's, if it's a lowland reservoir with a lot of grass and it's post-spawn, I kind of have an idea of what I want to do. So it it kind of depends on the season, but what I'll do when I get to the lake, if, if we were going to talk about a highland reservoir and we were going to talk about it, um, you know, in the post-spawn, um, a highland reservoir is usually clear. And so I think topwater is going to be a big choice. That's something I'm definitely going to start with in the morning, um, they're, you know, some of the slim bait baits are really good in clear water. And jerk baits are really good in clear water. And then if it gets sunny and calm, I might stop, you know, kind of slow down a little bit and either throw a Carolina rig or maybe throw a jig head worm, a shaky head, um, you know, on on more light line and and finesse type tactics. So, I mean, I kind of think about every place differently, um, and it it totally depends on where you're fishing, but that's just kind of the mindset that I'll go through before
2: I get to a lake.
1: And is it your uh, style to kind of focus on a particular part of the body of water that you're fishing? or do you kind of skip around and uh, move around throughout the course of the day?
3: Yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, I usually will, especially if I'm practicing for a tournament, now, if I only got one day to fish, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pick an area of the lake, and I'm going to fish it. If I'm practicing for a tournament, I've got a three- or four-day practice and then a three- or four-day event, Um, What I'm going to do is is fish different parts of the lake. And maybe, you know, if the conditions change, I might fish a certain area that I really liked under different conditions uh, to see if it was any good. And basically what I'm doing is just compiling information. I'm just trying to figure out where some bass live. I'm not necessarily looking just for a spot where they are, what I want is is a pattern. I want something that tells me, okay, if I can catch them in shallow grass here in the back of a bay, hopefully I can run to the next bay, find the same conditions, and catch bass there. So what I'm looking for is just it's just compiling information, and then when the tournament comes, or when it comes to the point where I need to catch some fish, then I can hopefully run those patterns and hopefully then do well.
1: And, you know, this is the time of year to where suspended fish can often be a little intimidating you know, what are some of the tricks that, that you employ to get them into to responding to what you're offering? This time of year,
3: you do get a lot of suspended fish, and a lot of times they're suspended in just open water. They may not be around anything. They'll be schooling fish. Top water is obviously something that comes to my mind. There may be a jerk bait. Um, both of those both of those baits are kind of more power techniques that you can fish fairly fast. Um, and you can draw a lot of strikes that way but if you got to slow down and say the fish are suspended just out in open water or they may be suspended ar- around the tops of some trees then you may have to go to something like a grub or a small worm something that can actually you know stay in front of those fish for a long time they don't have to move up and react to it and you know one thing to keep in mind is um, when you're thinking about suspending fish usually we're thinking about clear water when we're thinking about suspended fish if it's, water's real muddy the fish are going to hang closer to cover and you're going to be able to bump that cover to catch the fish. That's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about clear water situations where the fish are suspended around something, And uh, some of those baits and techniques I mentioned uh, can work really well.
1: Is there a particular, let's say if we're fishing a a large reservoir, is there a particular end of the lake? Do you go more towards in in the case that it's maybe a man-made reservoir, uh, has a dam generating some current? Will you typically hang out closer to the dam, or do you go up to the upper ends this time of year?
3: I, I don't really think there's a wrong or right answer to that. I think you can go, you know, my tendency is probably to want to run up the lake, but I also, my tendency really is, especially if it was in a tournament situation, is I would go as far away as from where we're launching from, uh, to start out, you know, because, you know, especially if there's current moving through there, it's going to be moving through the upper end just like it is the lower end. And what I'm going to be looking for is little current breaks and little eddies, um, that might catch fish. Right now, the fish are kind of moving post-spawn. Um, if there's some current out there, it's, it, you know, that, to me, you're looking for little current breaks in places that they're they're starting to move away from the spawning areas before they go deep. So, you know, I kind of just like the less pressured areas is what is the, is the way I'll usually go.
1: And is the current preference, is that because of, of how it positions the fish or water quality or all the above?
3: No, it's, it's more how it positions the fish. Current positions the fish, and when you look at current or, or notice current in a body of water, you know, sometimes current's not very strong and you, you can't see it very well or you could be fishing a, a tidal place it's got a ton of current in it and it's moving fast. Um, usually, current will really position fish a certain place. It's all they're doing is is they're getting behind something or they're getting on top of something where bait's going to be sweeping by as the current sweeps the bait by there. You know whether they're feeding on crawfish or shad or bluegill or whatever. It's 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 the same thing. They want to be able to ambush what they're what they're feeding on. So yeah, I'm just looking for little places that would actually give a bass a place to hide, kind of a little eddy place, and then they can feed on whatever bait comes
1: by. You know, kind of shifting gears and moving more into lakes that have a lot of vegetation. How do you break down that vegetation? Because we know at first glance, you know, everything kind of looks the same when the lake has a lot of grass in
3: it. It depends on the kind of place you're fishing. I mean, you can get in some places in California and Florida that there's just no uh, depth variation around grass. Or you can go to a place in Texas, San Rayburn, where there's, you know, there's 30, 40 foot, there's a lot of points and and There's a lot of um, area around grass where you've got some definite break lines, and so generally speaking, I'm going to start. Um, you know, it's it's a seasonal pattern thing, but this time of year we're starting to think a little bit more towards the outside edge of whatever vegetation's there. They may be on the inside part if if the bluegill are spawning and the and the fish want to get up shallow up around that, but after that they're going to start wanting to move deeper, and so it'll be around the outside edges. And I may be I may be looking, and it, it's an it's a pattern deal also because I may be looking. Uh, on flat stuff. Maybe it goes way out into the middle of the lake. Or I may be fishing um steep stuff where um you know the, the, the whole grass line's really is really thin just because there's not very much depth. I mean there's a lot of depth right off the bank and then the grass will quit growing. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, the biggest tip I can give on fishing any kind of grass is when you get a bite, you need to pay attention to where is it that I got that bite. Uh, Is the the bite coming in um, on the shallow part of the grass, the, the deep part of the grass? Is it steep? Does it taper off real slowly? What kind of grass is it? Is it on the inside edge or the outside edge? All that stuff comes into it. You just gotta pay attention to where you get those bites.
1: So is it safe to say that you kind of fish the topography and the grass uh and the relation to that is kind of second nature?
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean you, you basically you're just trying to pay attention to to what signs the fish will give you. And you know, on any grass, like it doesn't matter where it is, usually you can still pattern the fish within it. Now one thing that happens in a grass, like a lot of times, is you can find a really good spot. You know, let's just say there's there's a little rock pile, you know, inside a bed of grass, and you're fortunate enough to find that little rock pile, and that really is what key the fish. But so it may be hard to find another rock pile like that. So sometimes it's a real spot-specific deal, but grass is one of the great ways to fish, and that's where bass. the bass love being around it. They spawn around it. They eat around it. That's where they spend a lot of their time. So if there's grass in the lake, I advise to fish it.
1: Well, Clark, all good information, but I need to get us sent out to a break. And before I do, I just uh, want to wish you the best of luck in the rest of your season. And thanks so much for being part of The Edge.
3: Aaron, thanks for having me, and I uh, just look forward to doing it again.
2: Power.
1: Productivity. It's the best trencher ever made, not to mention the best plow, dumper, tiller, backhoe, stump grinder, and tool carrier ever made. The Zahn, the revolution is here. Now you can harness the full power of your boat electronics and catch more fish. Introducing Electronics 101. Whether a beginner or more advanced, leading electronics instructor Mike Webb shows you how to get the most out of any sonar unit. Common problems and frequently asked questions are covered in detail. Electronics 101 also includes bonus deep fishing tips from industry pros. Master any brand graph. Order your DVD by calling 888-390-8780 or online at BassEdge.com.
3: Hi, this is George Cochran. I'm Dave Wolak. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Clark Winland. Hi,
2: I'm Chris Ball. Hi, this is Jim Tut. and you're listening to The Edge.
0: Well, it's great to hear from Clark. You know, I I really enjoy listening to him and pay a lot of attention to him because he's had so much success in these highland Ozark lakes that uh, you and I live near. Well, he
1: has, you know, and of course everybody knows, or most everybody realizes that his success on Beaver has been um, nothing short of spectacular. But when you look at the standings of where he sits within the world rankings, and then also being second in the FLW Angler of the Year standings, I mean, you can't get there or arrive at that destination by just, you know, being boxed into one technique.
0: Well, and, you know, consistency is the key to success, to that kind of success, and to achieve that kind of consistency, you have to be, there's a certain mindset, and you just have to be willing to uh, to let yourself be versatile. That can be kind of hard sometimes.
1: Well, it can be because, you know, like he and I talked about when I had asked him or posed the question concerning, does um, that ever work against the angler meaning you know the versatility because a lot of times we can get into our head to where hey uh, you know we've heard or seen on the internet or heard doc talk or they're biting this or our buddies come in at the end of the day sitting around the motel and I'm doing this and you know you you start questioning and maybe second-guessing yourself But it goes back to what Clark said. You've got to stick with what you're confident in and then Mm -hmm. also just realize that, um, you know, anything can happen at any given time. Fishing is a changing dynamic by the moment.
0: And you and I, I think we even talked about this a little bit last week, uh, making the decision to move. To change baits. You have to keep all of this, this whole mosaic of changing factors like the weather and the wind and sunlight. I mean, that's what makes this great puzzle fishing what it is, and it's why we all get blanked every once in a while, too. And to
1: add to that, I think that's also the lure of the sport is because of the challenges, because of the many things that we get to go and uh, test our skills at, and a lot of it is, you know, just fundamental, but also uh, certainly, you know, the mental uh, part of it plays plays a factor.
0: And that is so true. Aaron, we've got a great question this week and it's from Jeff, aka Robo. Question is how do I achieve a proper hook set? I've hooked into numerous fish and tend to lose them either on the second or third tug. This happens mostly when fishing plastic rigged and wide gap hooks, eight to twelve pound monofilament, six foot six medium action rod with a spinning reel. I can't compete in tournaments if I can't put fish in the boat. It's very frustrating. Any advice would be greatly appreciated. And Jeff has some nice things to say. He says he enjoys the podcast and the expert advice, and he says we're truly great people willing to help others and hopes we'd continue to educate in the future. And, Jeff, we very much intend to continue in the future educating and talking to our good friends. Aaron, talk to me about hook sets.
1: Well, I think uh, Jeff poses a very good question, and there's a couple things uh, to point out here within his question question you know when he says obviously he's fishing uh, soft plastics that's where he's having most of the difficulty he's using a 6.6 medium action rod the spinning reel and then the second or third tug from the fish and then also the 8 to 12 pound mono I think all of those give us clues in looking at the fundamental mechanics of what is happening and maybe um, possibly some of the reasons of why he's having problems putting those in the boat first I'll start out with plastics you know one of the interesting things concerning a plastic bait you know there's so many whether it be salt, flavor additives, you know, scents, those type of things. A fish will hang on to a bait for a long time. I've actually witnessed this. We've seen this. They'll actually swim out from under a dock. You can actually allow them to hold the bait to get it out of a tree or on a bed. But we do know that a fish will hang on to this. Now, if you're getting two or three tugs, you probably need to go ahead and set the hook, you know, on that second tug. But I would recommend reeling down, getting as much of that slack out of the line as what you can That way, when you rear back, you have no slack there, and it's going to ensure that you're driving that hook into the fish's mouth. A couple other things. One is going to be on the 8 to 12-pound mono. Not that there's anything wrong with the pound test of line that you're using, but one thing that we do know is that monofilament line has more stretch than some of the other uh, types of line that are out there. So I would suggest experimenting maybe with a fluorocarbon or some sort of copolymer that is going to really reduce the amount of stretch in there. Again, making sure that we have a good transfer of energy into that hook set. And then finally, I'm going to look at the, the rod choice that you've selected, the medium action, you know, one thing that we know about rods with the different actions and the different properties of rods is how forgiving are they and I would suggest possibly going up to maybe a medium heavy uh, something that has a little more stiff backbone to where when you rear back again it's all about transferring that energy down the line to that hook through the fish's mouth so that we can get that fish into the boat
0: well that's great advice uh and robo it's good to hear from you and keep in touch let us know how that tournament fishing's going and uh have got another great interview on tap our very own dr j mcnamara dr fish himself so uh let's break away for a sec and we'll be right back with dr j mcnamara
1: A safe and convenient way to access any trailer boat. Introducing the new Flex Step by Megaware Keel Guard. Forget climbing over the sides ever again. Mount a Flex Step on the side of your trailer for easy access to rod lockers and tackle compartments with no boarding. Or bolt the high-quality aluminum Flex Step to your trailer's tongue and enter your craft without ever getting wet again. Completely flexible, great for cleaning windshields, and the hollow tube doubles as a storage area. Available at major marine centers or learn more via the web. Hey, Edge listeners, this is Terry backsay Hi, I'm Jamie Cyphers. I'm Diddy Brower. This is Michael Murphy. Hi, this is Pam Bolton, and you're listening to The Edge. Welcome back to The Edge. You know, the term mental warfare is most commonly reserved for sports like chess, golf, and tennis. But most anglers agree that our thoughts while we're on the water largely impact our results. And joining us today is Jay McNamara, performance psychologist and author of the top-selling book, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. Jay, welcome back to the show.
2: Thanks, Aaron. It's always good to be here.
1: Well, you know, it's always great to have you. And, you know, speaking of the past times that you've been on the show, you've got to be pretty excited with what's going on. I mean, of course, you're in your, uh, what, second edition now of The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, the book has really exceeded my expectations by a lot, Aaron. Uh, I thought there would be a few people when you and I talked about this project several years ago that might be interested in this, and as it turns out, we have people from Seattle and Florida and, New York and Missouri and Texas that have called and asked for individual sessions as well as copies of the book. So it's really been successful beyond my wildest expectations. And now we're into our second edition.
1: Well, congratulations on that. And and speaking of expectations, you know, that's kind of the gist of what today's interview is about is is managing those expectations. And when you think of that, what does that mean? I know you obviously dive off into that in your book. um, And of course, we have to assume that most of us have already set those goals uh, for the course of the year. But give us some insight on what that means
2: sure um uh, you know uh expectations lead pretty naturally to goals or at least they should um if a go- guy has an expectation to uh you know win the club championship this year then what follows from that are a series of monthly, weekly, daily goals that people can put into place to actually realize those expectations. But now, you know, for a lot of us, we're into our tournament season and, uh, or we're into just recreational fishing, and we look back and see how things have gone so far. Um, if things have gone as well as we expected, that's great. If they haven't gone as well as uh, we had expected, maybe it's time to uh, revise our expectations so that we don't uh, frustrate ourselves with unrealistically high expectations.
1: You know, when you think about applying those expectations while you're on the water, whether it be recreationally or in a tournament, really all we're talking about, if we break it down to the simplest form, is just being in the zone for a period of time. That doesn't necessarily transfer over into eight hours. Uh, Quite honestly, it could be just five casts.
2: Well, that's a really good point, Aaron. In fact, uh, there's a tournament here in uh, Minnesota that uh, I knew about recently where the uh, expectation going in was that people were going to catch great big, huge small moths, they caught them in practice. Uh, The day of the tournament, uh, we had a massive cold front come through, and as everybody knows, those huge cold snaps in the spring in Minnesota can shut smallmouth fishing off right now. Several people by noon on tournament day didn't have any fish. The local recreational anglers were struggling as well. As it turns out, one guy got into the zone between about 1 and 2 o'clock in the afternoon when the water warmed up a little bit, caught uh, five largemouth up against fallen trees, and turned out he had the only limit. In the tournament, won the thing. Came to the boat dock and uh, several people coming in again as recreational anglers that had been frustrated wound up just kind of floating around in the lake Um, Didn't revise their expectations, but uh, he stayed focused and was able to catch a few fish and win the tournament.
1: So are there things that we can use as triggers or maybe to more or less get that into our consciousness of, you know, that we have to change something, that we can't continue applying the same techniques and expecting different results? Something has to give.
2: Well, you know, the concept that we talk about in the psychology of exceptional fishing about one of the key dimensions of talented athletes everywhere is the speed and accuracy with which they change um so whether you're talking about watching uh you know Kobe Bryant or LeBron James here in the NBA playoffs or watching some of the hockey players in the Stanley Cup and um watching them make their moves as they come down the quarter up the ice uh it's just amazing how they can come up with something that's creatively different uh each time and i think if uh you think in terms of your own fishing same thing If you've got a spot or a technique that you typically use that typically catches fish and today it doesn't work, um, what else can you do different? So the more options you have, the more things you're willing to try, Uh, Even if on a a difficult day, and especially on a difficult day, uh, the more likely you are to be successful.
1: Well, and I think that translates over into, you know, here we are uh, in June now. Uh, Hard to believe we already have five months behind us for 2009. But this is also a good time to go back and, you know, as you state that those expectations often transfer over into goals, about reevaluating kind of where we stand with regards to the goals that we perhaps set at the beginning of the year.
2: Well, it is, and it highlights one of the key dimensions for me in the psychology of exceptional fishing as I talk to top-shelf anglers, whether they're recreational anglers or professional anglers, over the last several years. One of the key dimensions that separates top-shelf anglers from uh, mediocre anglers is the willingness of top people to get feedback, to ask questions, to learn more, all the time, everybody says, "Oh yeah, you try and learn something every day, but people who really genuinely do that who are willing to get feedback from other anglers. So you take a look at where you're at when you're fishing this year, if you're catching them, uh, maybe you're the kind of person who's, who winds up giving information to other people if you 're not catching them, uh, maybe you need to talk to some of the people who are um, what are they doing differently? Where are they fishing? How are they fishing? are they doing something with a different lure uh, more likely it's a different presentation or a different particular spot on the lake but getting feedback and readjusting what you do rather than like you said you know try and do the same thing over and over again and expect different results um, that's the height of foolishness
1: well i and i think that goes into what you and i have talked about before so many times it's why would somebody like tiger woods pick the the most recent point in his career to redesign his golf swing that's an example about trying to bring out the best in each of us individually and tiger obviously is the you know obviously a great example of that
2: well you know we look at the that's the whole mention about getting a coach getting someone to um, help guide your learning uh, not that you're you know you have to say that you're a rookie you don't know anything obviously tiger woods knows a lot about playing golf but outside feedback from A detached, objective observer can help us no matter what level we're at. Professional athletes in every sport have coaches, and they solicit feedback. You know, even individual sports like wrestling and tennis and golf, people have coaches that can help them. And while angling is an individual sport, it's not a team sport, most of the time uh you still can get feedback from other people that can help you improve and you should
1: well i think that's great advice jay unfortunately i do have to send us out to a break but before i do two things that i need from you tell us how we can find out more about these individual coaching sessions uh that so many are jumping on board as well as uh where to purchase the book
2: well you can get both of those uh, in one spot aaron you can uh, go to bassedge.com and uh click on shop bass edge there's a uh, steve brigman's new book as well as uh, my book there uh, for sale and uh, you can also contact uh, me or any of the other uh, bass edge staff members there and uh, we're happy to help you out with whatever uh, advice or suggestions you need well jay
1: once again thanks for your time we look forward as always to talking with you again
2: in the near future i look forward to it aaron
3: Now, you can order Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing is host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Edwin Evers, Boyd Duckett, Alton Jones, and Pam Martin-Wells. The two sets include all 25 episodes with never-before-seen footage, over three hours of bonus pro angler interviews, bloopers, and highlights. Each two-disc set is just $19.95. Call 1-888-390-8780 or order online at
1: BassEdge.com. My friend, we have uh, officially arrived at our destination. We are at the end of the program, but before we get out of here, uh, why don't you tell us who we have on tap for next week?
0: Oh, man, we're going to have a great show. We've got Mr. Tom Mann Jr. Well, I'm excited for that, and uh, for all you
1: listeners out there, be sure to look for us on Bass Edge Television, seen three times each week on the Outdoor Channel. We can also be found on the World Fishing Network and Wild TV in Canada. Also, log on to BassEdge.com for the latest tips from top pros and a chance to win great prizes. Until next time, I am Aaron Martin, and for Steve Brigman and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, we look forward to seeing you again next week, right here on The Edge.
2: This week's edition of Bass Edges, The Edge has been brought to you by BW Trailer Hitches, Ditch Witch, Mega Wear Keel Guard, O'Reilly Auto Parts, and Legend Boats. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.